Uh, let's get to it. This is, uh, my name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors up in Cedar Rapids, and it is a joy to be together. It's just one big church family. Uh, let me just clarify one thing. This is not a 4th of July celebration. So I'm, I love America, pro-America, America, whatever it is. I, like, go to fireworks, eat hot dogs, do it. That's just not what this is. This, you may not know this, but our churches kind of run on a ministry year that goes starts July 1 and then runs through June. So we just finished a ministry year. We're just starting a new ministry year. And we said, let's get together and celebrate as a family that God has been so faithful. He continues to do amazing thing in our midst, often despite us. And we have a great God. And we said, let's get together and celebrate him together. So that's what this is about. Amen. Okay. And more good news. I'm not going to give a sermon uh, this morning. I didn't know if you would cheer for that or not. Uh, but this is more of a pep talk for worship. Mark told me I needed to tape my notes down with duct tape. Here we do. This is like a pep talk for worship. If you've been involved in sports and you kind of have that halftime pep talk uh, where you come in from playing one half and a coach uh, kind of tries to rally the troops, the team, to go out and perform again. We just kind of did one half where we sang some worship, and we're going to uh, talk a little bit, and then we're going to go into the second half, because that's the win of today, worship of our God, that we could please God, that we could proclaim His excellency. This is, that's the victory today. It's about Christ, and, and to, it's wild to think that we have the ability to bring God pleasure and joy by by our praise expressed to him. So we want to do that well today. And this is what this is about. Um, and sometimes when it comes to celebrating, uh, it seems like we can find ourselves in a position or a posture to wonder like, is it okay to celebrate? Because there's so much pain in the world. There's so much brokenness and sin. And it seems like if we celebrate, is that kind of like we're not in tune with the world, that we're ignorant to the hurt that's going on, that we're not sensitive to that? So we can kind of have this, is it okay to celebrate posture? But people, Christians more than anyone should be a celebratory people. In fact, uniquely to everybody, we should be a celebratory people. Um, but maybe we've lost that. I mean, in the midst of feeling the hurt, the brokenness, seeing it, the frustrations, maybe we've lost uh, like this natural disposition of joy and excitement of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished. Maybe that's not our greatest reputation, joy. Maybe we complain or we're negative. And there's a lot to complain about. There's a lot of negative in the world and we can get wrapped up in that. But I'm talking about like, natural excitement and joy as the disposition of a Christian? Like, has that waned in your life? And how do we recapture that? And should it define us a bit more? There's a, a passage in Nehemiah that kind of stands out. I was just thinking about this. Where you have a war-torn people, exiles, hardships, difficulties, trying to rebuild a wall, facing opposition and struggle, and they find the book of the law and they read it. And then they feel guilty that they're not even following God like they should. And their tears and the leaders, Nehemiah and Ezra and the leaders of the group, they, they encourage them to say, no, this is a good day. And if you're following the Jewish calendar, it's like we should actually be celebrating right now. We should be in the Feast of Booths. And then they're like, well, they're going to go on that. But people are crying. It's like, no, this is a good day. Eat the fat portions. It's like, I love it. It's one of my favorite passage in the Bible. 
get permission. Eat the fat portions. This is a celebration. But then they tell them kind of a weird phrase. They said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's kind of an odd. Like, what do you mean the joy of the Lord is our strength? That his joy is our strength? Or does it mean that the joy that we get because of the Lord is our strength? I think you can make an argument for both. Like, it's good news that we have a happy God, that we have a joyful God, and that our emotions should kind of take their cue from his emotions. And if he's happy, then we can find joy in his pleasure. But also, he's done things for us that cause joy in us. But he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength, which is another interesting perspective. Like, what do you mean it's our strength? You think you might say the joy of the Lord is the joy of you. And that would make sense. But why does he say the joy of the Lord is your strength? As in like the joy you get from the Lord is going to help you get through the brokenness and the difficulties and the hardships. Like it's what you cling to. It's your strength. Or it could be like a strength militarily. Like you, it's, it's your greatest weapon. In the midst of this world of brokenness and pain, people look at you and you've still got joy. Like an unshakable joy. That's a powerful weapon. Now, how do we as the people of God recapture a sense of authentic celebration? Because it should be a defining trait as followers of Jesus. Like, let's, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look just a couple verses. I'll, I'll talk you through the chapter, but this is a chapter in Leviticus, and I know you guys are, you love Leviticus. It's going to just camp out there in your Bible reading plans all the time. But Leviticus 23 is a chapter you should be familiar with. Uh, because this is a chapter that introduces the feast or the parties that God wants his people to have. And the first two verses of chapter 23 of Leviticus says this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feast because these are, this is an assignment. Put it on the calendar. This is the parties I want you to have. These are the celebrations, that I, the things I want you to, to do. And, and he goes into this chapter, and the first one's the Sabbath. You, you know, this is like a weekly kind of remember the Sabbath type of thing. Then he gets over and, and describes Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Like when they escaped out of Egypt, the, uh, the Passover lamb's blood on the door, it spared them from God's wrath and judgment and rescued them out. And they didn't have time to kind of let their bread rise. They had to rush out in a hurry. He's like, this is a, a feast to remember that. They had the first fruits, the, the first feast of first fruits. It was a harvest feast to thank God for all he provided. Then he talks about the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. It's the second harvest feast. It's seven weeks after the, the Feast of First Fruits or 50 days. Uh, and it's celebrating when they bring in the first harvest grain. Then you have the Feast of Trumpets. It was a solemn day of rest with food offerings that would be kicked off with trumpet blast. You'll notice a pattern. There's, there's food in all these. Um, day of atonement, there's this kind of humble repentance before God. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and atone for the sins of the people through sacrifice. And this kicked off the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this was celebrating God's provision for his people uh, in the 40 years in the wilderness. The difficulty of living in the wilderness and how God provided for them. He said, basically camp out. Pitch a tent, build these booths, and for this week, feast with your neighbors like a big camping party, and let's remember how God provided for us when we were in the wilderness. And you, they're getting these like commandments to celebrate. And if you can imagine, 
400 years of slavery. It's all that you know. It's all that you know. It's all your parents know. It's all your grandparents know. Like, this is just life. Like, you got stories of Abraham, and you got the stories of God's promises, but it's just stories. And then this God shows up, and he rescues you. He brings you out into the wilderness. He gives you a law, and a part of that law is, here's some parties I want you to have. And by the way, people that only know slavery, the first one is take a day off. What a good God. Have this party. Have this party. Have these celebrations. And just to be clear, God is commanding celebration of his people. It's a command. He is commanding celebration. That's hard to do. You ever try to do that with your kids? All right, we're going to somebody's house. You like turn, like before you go in, you look at them like, we are going to have a good time, right? You're going to put a better face on. We're going to do this, right? I mean, I, I bake this cake all day. You're going to eat it and you're going to like it. Like we're going to celebrate. You just kind of try to force it out of them. That's hard to do. And God is commanding celebration from his people. Um, but, but here's the thing. This is so awesome of our God. He doesn't just command celebration. He gives a reason to celebrate. He gives the cause to celebrate. These celebrations commemorate what God has done for them. And you take a day off and rest in the Sabbath because you've got to remember that I provide for you. I rescued you. It's not about your work. Hey, remember the Passover yeah, I did that. I rescued you. Keep, keep remembering that. Remember when I was faithful through the wilderness time? Yeah, pitch a tent every year. Take a week and camp out with your neighbors and just remember God's faithfulness. And these parties were meant to keep that stuff in front of them. Keep it in front of them. That can be hard to do, especially in like the pace of life and the difficulties and the things that come up. Like to keep that stuff in front of you, that's difficult. We can keep other stuff in front of us. We keep the news and social media, things that might not cause joy, cause worry, cause stress, cause anger. It seems easy to keep that stuff in front of us, and we tend to forget the joy-causing work of the Lord. And I say forget, like we don't forget, but it's just not in front of us. It's not what's shaping our emotions. And God's saying, no, put it on the calendar. Come back to it again and again and again. Don't forget, what I've, and, and it should produce celebration in you. A church, you need to get this. This is the, the reason why gathering weekly as a church family is so important. All this cause of celebration comes together in the gospel. It all comes together in the gospel. You can think of it like this. All these feasts come together for us every Sunday. Every Sunday is like super feast. It's a, it's a party where all of these reasons for celebration that, that were given to the Israelites are a reality in Jesus Christ. Like we look, uh, our day of atonement is the day that Jesus went to the cross. We just got done going through Hebrews as a church. This is Hebrews chapter 9. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for it is the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He's the, he's the Passover lamb and the high priest. That's when John the Baptist sees Jesus. He says, behold, the lamb of God 
that takes away the sins of the world. Like he's our Passover. And on the third day following Passover starts the, fir- the feast of first fruits. And what happened on the third day after Passover where Jesus was sacrificed? He rose, right? He rose from the grave. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first fruits of new life. And that was the celebration, the feast of the first fruits. It's like harvest is coming. God provides this and more is to come. And when we see the resurrection of Jesus, it's the first fruits of our resurrection to come. We celebrate what God has provided and it's life, eternal life. And his resurrection points to our resurrection. It's the first fruits. And what happens 50 days after the feast of first fruits? The feast of weeks or Pentecost. And at Pentecost, in Acts 2, God brings in the first harvest of over 3,000 people coming to faith. And the church is born. Because there was a time when Jesus looked out over the, he says, the, the fields are ripe for harvest, the labor is plentiful, but the workers are few. But then comes the feast of, of weeks, and you get a harvest. The church is born. 3,000 more workers to go out in the field. You see God's faithfulness. And just like the Feast of Trumpets kicked off this day of rest, there's coming a day of eternal rest that's kicked off with a trumpet. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet or the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are left alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will have our rest forever, like everlasting rest, kicked off by that trumpet. And that kicks on to another feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And here's how Isaiah describes it. He says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken." It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in this salvation. Church, I want you to like hear that passage with eyes of faith. If you are a child of God, this feast that he's talking about, this is our future. Like this is a reality that's waiting for us because of Jesus Christ. It says, this is our God. We have waited for him. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. And we can wait for that day. We can wait through that day. Because like the Feast of Booths reminds us, God sees his people through hard times. And he leads them to the promised land and he will provide for them in the wilderness. He will take care of us until that day comes. And you know what is really interesting? The Feast of Booths commemorates the hardship, like God's provision in the hardship, but it was a time of 
struggle for the Israelites. They were in the wilderness wandering. And you're remembering God's provision. And that's where we're at right now. We're sojourners waiting for the promised land. But here's what's crazy. The Feast of Booths was the most festive celebration. In the midst of struggle, it's the most festive celebration. Now, church, this is what I want you to hear, and I'm going to wrap up, but this is what I want you to get. When the world is in chaos and angry and broken and worried and frustrated, and we're still gathered together singing, celebrating, shouting, joyful, it doesn't mean we're blind to the pain of this world. It means that we have a hope that's greater than this world. And that's what the world needs to see. Relentless, indestructible joy. And are we to mourn with those who mourn? Yes. But we're also to show the world that we have a God who turns mourning into dancing. Like he sees us through it. So church, the joy of the Lord is our strength. In the midst of the chaos in the world, we serve a happy God, a joyful God. And if he's happy, we can be happy because he will see us through us. And he has provided joy to us by saving us, forgiving our sins, giving us a redemption. And that will weather us. It's our greatest weapon in this world. And no matter what you do to us, we're going to be here singing. We're going to be here praising Jesus no matter what. Such a weapon in this world. So church, celebration is commanded. If you're a Christian, we have commands. Sing. Shout. If you're just like, well, I'm not much of a singer. Sing. It's a command. Shout. Clap. These are commands. We are commanded to celebrate. But hear me. God doesn't just command celebration. He gives a cause for it. He's rescued you. He's forgiven you. He's redeemed you. So whether you're in Iowa City or Cedar Rapids, or Urbana, or Dubuque, would it be evident that any time anybody comes near one of our gatherings, the joy of the Lord, the joy of our salvation would be evident. We have a joy, an indestructible joy. And it would be a weapon in this age of frustration that our joy is not rooted here, but in him. And there is a feast waiting for us, and we can weather anything because Jesus is with us, and he will see us through it to it. What a great God. So as we go into the second half, right, it's my halftime speech. I'm closing it up. You're inspired, right? Okay, we're about to find out. Because as we go in the second half, we're going to sing three more songs. We're outside in God's beautiful creation. And I want us to sing like saved people. That we'd rejoice over our God. And the win of this game it's not if the sound system works or if you mingled or got a donut or if they ran out of donuts or what you got going. The win of this game is if God is, if God is pleased by the worship of his people. So would God be pleased by the worship that happens in this yard? Amen? All right, let's stand together and pray. Father, you are a great God. We fail to comprehend how great. We see just a little bit. Give us a taste more. I think of Moses when, he, when he, he knew you like face to face, like a friend. And his request to you was, I want to see more of your glory. Show me your glory. Give us that hunger for you, God. 
Give us a passion just to please you, to worship you, to proclaim the excellencies of your name, your salvation. Fill us with joy, your joy. I pray that your joy would indeed be our strength. It would be the strength that we have to weather through difficulties in this life. And as people look at us, it would be the the greatest weapon we have in this world that no matter what happens, we're a joyful people because of our God. Give us this undestructible joy. Father, give us the heart to express praise to you now, to say thank you to you. You have saved us. May you receive our praise. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.